You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Neil and I'm sitting here next to Jeff. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing all right. Matt, you're uh, here with us from L.A., and how are you doing today? Well, it's a lovely day in Los Angeles. Everyone loves hearing about it. Every every episode, of course. We I mean, to. it's a lovely day here in Chicago, too. We have those once in a while, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not, not too bad here today. Uh, Ken is not here today. Uh, Matt, Jeff, uh, what's going on? Oh, uh, it's actually Ken, uh, you know, he had skipped, I think, 100 leg days in a row, and he tried to do them all at once. Uh not not a good idea and he ended up uh having a little bit of an owie so he's he's getting some rest and uh some iv full of protein and monster energy drink or whatever he's doing and he'll, he'll be back soon <laughs> so what you're saying is uh rest uh recuperation and drinking water is important despite uh, on occasion yes despite what yeah. dare told us they said don't drink water and work out but they were the cdc now said that you can resume drinking water and getting rest <laughs> Well, we wish him the best, uh, but we do have some great guests here to take his place. We have a very special guest host who we will get to in just one moment, but uh, we want to introduce our contestants today. Uh, Our first contestant uh, has been on an episode before, and we're glad to have him back, and that is Jason Hess. How are you, Jason? Hello. Uh, I'm doing great. Happy to be back, and um, really looking forward to it. We're happy to have you back as well, and sitting next to you is a new guest to the show, and that is Mm. Natasha Baker-Bradley. How are you, Natasha? Hi, good. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for having me. Of course, and thank you both for being Patreon supporters. You're both savage superstars, and we hope that your performance today is savage. But why don't uh, both of you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, And then at the end of it, uh, I guess you have a really fun team name, and you can get into that as well. Uh, So I guess I'll start. My name's Natasha. Um, I'm a defense attorney. I know you've never had a lawyer on the show before, so (laughs) thanks for having me. We plead with um, And I've been living in Austin for about two years now. I moved in with Jason, who's been here a long time. <laughs> uh, and I'm uh, I'm Jason Hess. I'm a uh, electrical engineer based in Austin and an avid trivia player. So. And you said you had a really fun team name that you're going to be playing with today, and there was a little bit of a story behind it. So why don't you tell us about that? <laughs> So our team name today is Gandalf the Ecru. 
Um, and that came about because last week we were playing a game with friends where the goal was my friend was trying. I had to have him guess um, Grey Poupon. That's what he was supposed to guess. And I started describing the mustard and he wasn't getting it. So then I switched tactics and I said, OK, it starts with a color. Gandalf the blank. And he said, Gandalf the egg crew. <laughs> totally normal answer to give. <laughs> Um, and we decided that was funny enough that it should be a trivia team name. <laughs> that was uh, that, that was a really good story, and I'm surprised that that was the first color that your friend went with. But uh, that's what yeah. happens <laughs> when you ask him a question by rolling down your your window of your Rolls Royce and get to it. So, uh, well, th thank you for for joining us today. And you're going to be playing Matt and Jeff. But in order for a game to begin, we actually need a host, and our special guest host is uh, someone who has been on the show he's before. He's very special. He's very special, uh, all capital special. Uh, and uh, he's uh, one of the reasons that we're doing the podcast, and we're happy to have him back again, and that is the uh, maestro of Liquid Courage Entertainment, Jason Borsum. How are you, Jason? I'm, I'm confused, Neil, because I don't think you've ever pronounced courage correctly before when talking to me. <laughs> I, I, I was doing? thinking about it the entire time, <laughs> so I was like, I better get it right this time. Right. No, it's good to be in. It's good to uh, to hang out with my friends in, in the virtual space. Um, it's good to see faces again. It's been so long. It has. And uh, you're doing some incredible work on Twitch. Uh, I know uh, when the pandemic started, uh, it was a, a new transition for you to, to go online. But mm -hmm. I feel like you've been doing such uh, wonderful work over there, uh, streaming every night, basically, sometimes twice a day. Uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about that and uh, also how the experience has been? Oh, definitely. So, um, yeah, when everything hit back in March 2020, it turns out uh, it's really hard to do pub trivia when the pubs aren't open. So I had to transition everything in like 24 hours onto Twitch, uh, finally got up and running. I was thinking at the time, I just need to cover like two weeks of content and give people something to be excited about so that they don't forget about me forever. So I set a seven night a week schedule that I kept for a year. Uh, I lost my mind uh, and then took a two week hiatus, reassessed things and we're back. Uh, I'm streaming now four to five times a week, which is uh, sustainable, according to my wife uh, and my mental health expert, <laughs> <laughs> who is also my wife. Yeah. And congratulations, though, on all the success with that. And also that some of the, the pubs are opening now and, and you're you're kind of dipping into that world again as well. And hopefully mm -hmm. things will get back to some sort of normal soon. I hope so, too. I just not even for personal reasons, just so everybody can get out of their dang basements now. <laughs> uh, well, Jason, you're going to be hosting today. Uh, Matt and Jeff, we heard the other team name, Gandalf the Accru. Uh, any ideas on your team name? I don't think it makes sense for us to get Gandalf, too. Um, you know, we got Magenta, Cyan. Uh, any ideas? <laughs> um, I was going to on the puce for you, but I guess. I, I, I like Gandalf the Vanta Black, so... Yeah, <laughs> the exact opposite. It's perfect. All right, so we have Gandalf the Accrue and Gandalf the Vanta Black. Uh, I'm going to be um, just kind of hanging around in the background, I'm gonna, like a little ghost over here again. Uh, so you guys take it away. Uh, let's throw it to the rules guy real quick just to make sure that uh, we know the rules. And I'm going to leave it to Natasha to choose what rules reading you would like. Classic, Dutch, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, or uh, mm, a, you know, surprise Rick you. Rick Astley. De regels van het spel zijn simpel. 20 vragen verdeeld over twee rondes, waarbij elke vraag 10 punten waard is. Halverwege is er een speciale swingronde, ontworpen door de host van deze week. Na deze rondes beginnen de spelers aan de finale, met de punten die ze hebben verdiend. 
En hebben ze de mogelijkheid om 0 tot 30 punten in te zetten op 5 gecategoriseerde vragen. Aan het eind van het spel wordt iemand benoemd tot the cream of the crop. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are. Yeah. All right, Jason, uh, take it away and uh, good luck to both teams. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck to both of you. So uh, the first round in this game is inspired uh, a little bit by things that have been important to me for the last year or so. Uh, there is a bit of a through line in the categories. Maybe you'll pick up on it. We'll find out together as we jump right into question one in this game. Uh, the category is get some liquid. What somewhat common food preparation agent is defined in chemistry? as a liquid solution of anywhere roughly between three and a half to 26% salt in water. Okay. We can lock in. Oh, they're in fast. Jeff. Yes. Chef Jeff, what do you got anything here? Um, Would this be like a saline solution? I, yeah, that was what came to mind for me. Um, so I can't think of anything better. Yeah. Okay. Uh, nothing better. We'll just lock in with saline. All right, so Vanta Black is in with Celine. Uh, a crew, what are you thinking? Uh, the, the first thing that sprung to mind was oh, something that's used in pickling and also sometimes one of the many turkey preparations. We went with brine. Brine it is. Congratulations, Candolf, the accru. Uh, saline solution, from what I researched uh, writing this question, tends to peak out around 5% salt and water. Um, the definition that I found for brine has it anywhere between about three and a half percent on the low end. And these are all kind of rough shot estimates to about as high as 26%, because if you get any higher, it won't do the thing where the salt dissolves anymore. That's kind of the, uh, the saturation limit. All right. I think we're ready for question two. And the category of course is courage. What noble word meaning courageous serves as the last name of the detective played by Bob Hoskins in who framed Roger rabbit. I haven't seen this in a while. My Jason has a guess, so we are locked in. <laughs> I was going to say it was going to be Mario, the noted Bob Hoskins detective movie. Yeah. Super Mario Bros. So I've never seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so I'm no help here. So you don't even know Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I don't. I do not know Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> do you think Bob Hoskins does? I haven't seen the movie either. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking a for problem. a word that means courage yeah correction it means courage ah, thank you Neil. valent is that a word valent i could buy that it is a word though right Th that is a word yeah i'll buy that <laughs> give you a dollar you want to lock in with that <laughs> we can lock in with valent all right all right, Vanta Black is in with Valent. Uh, crew, what did you land on? You say, you guys uh, seem to be writing something pretty quickly there. Well, so I thought the answer was who, and he did it on first base, because there's no question mark in the movie title. <laughs> but Jason uh, put Valent. So Val Valiant. Oh, okay, Val I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. Handwriting's a little tough on this yeah, side. Yeah. Uh, Valiant. Yeah. Okay, so just to make sure you are, you were going with the answer Valiant. That Valiant, Eddie Valiant, I think is his name, yeah. And that is a 10-point difference for Gandalf the Accru because <laughs> Valiant is the noble word that means courageous. The clue in there is noble because of the uh, old comic character Prince Valiant. Um, uh, Valiant, mm -hmm. for, uh, for the boys of Triviality, I think they combined Galliant, uh, Gallant and Valiant into one word, would be my guess. I mean, sure. <laughs> I just don't know that word. Yeah. It was a valent effort. 
<laughs> well played. All right, I think we're good for question three. And uh, the category for this one is hat stuff. So I've got these two friends who perform in pipe bands, Ross and Glenn. When they dress for the occasion, they don what traditional Scottish wool bonnet, which features ribbons attached to the rear of the hat? Okay, we're locked in. Well, and, I, they tend to wear kilts, but that's on the lower half, Matt. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how Head familiar kilts. you are with. <laughs> I'm just picturing some kind of steampunk nonsense. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's some kind of top hat thing, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I know it's 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 kind of just like a like a poofy hat. It's not like a top hat. Um, mm. It's more I don't know the old Scottish poofy hat. Yes, um, I don't poofy. know. Shall we call it a hatkiss? <laughs> sure, <laughs> hatkiss. I mean, you can. I don't think anybody else would. That's fine. I, I mean, I'm not concerned about that. All right, we'll take it over then to uh, Gandalfia crew. Um, so as usual, I'm riding Jason's coattails. And when you are wearing coattails in Scotland, you might also be wearing a Tam O'Shanter on your head. Yeah, which is weird because O'Shanter sounds very Irish. But so Tam or maybe Tam O'Shanter. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think we'll go with the foot. That's yeah, what yeah. it sounded right. Too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we, have, yeah. so we have Hat Kiss from Bands of Black and Tam O'Shanter uh, from a crew. All right, so uh, I am not at all disappointed to inform you that Hat Kiss is not a thing. <laughs> uh, I am a little differently disappointed to uh, let you know that Tam O'Shanters are a thing. They are a Scottish thing. They are a Scottish hat thing. Unfortunately, they're the wrong type of Scottish hat thing based on the clue. Um, Neil, out of curiosity, did you pick up on the film clue in the wording of this question? Uh, I did not. Ah, uh, because I have those two friends in pipe bands, Glenn and Ross. So Glenn Gary. Gary. Yep, the name of the hat often uh, worn by Scottish pipe bands is called a Glengarry. It kind of looks, if you remember those old school uh, fast food like paper hats, that mm. kind of fold out and they sit narrowly. They were yeah, in it looks out. a lot like that, except uh, you know, better and not paper. And it has a, a couple ribbons trailing off the back end. I thought he was talking about the Burger King crown for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, that question stunk. Let's move to a better one, shall we? <laughs> so we move into question four in the round. The category is all hail Vacky. All right, so if Vacky were a living creature and not an anthropomorphized toy vacuum cleaner slash proxy for the much-needed human contact I uh, need in my basement, you wouldn't be off the market assuming that it was what, based on the similar Latin word, vaca. We're, we're locked in. Ah. <laughs> yeah, if you want to take all the fun out of the wording, Matt, uh, what's, what does vaca mean in Latin is the question. All right. Well, I was doing it for Jeff. He, he, he has a aversion to fun. Um, wow. That's so sweet That's of you. Four questions in, and I think we're about to have a third team. <laughs> so, Vaca. Yep. Um, well, I remember a thing coming around when vaccines were being talked about, um, about uh, it coming from uh, actually the word cow, I think. So I think it's a little misleading because um, I don't know if they if they were – trying to make it in cows first, or if it, the first vaccine was for a cow, but I'm pretty sure it's from cow, so. Okay. If it's wrong, I'm going to have mad cow disease. <laughs> Just so you know. They're going to have mad cow disease? <laughs> oh, I don't like that either. <laughs> 
Well, you let us you let us that path, and that was the inevitable conclusion to it. Uh, Vansabak, you sound like you are in. We'll uh, shift it over to Accru and see what their pro- process is. Okay, well, Matt's going to be in a good mood. Uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we're pretty sure it's cow. I think the vaccine is because Edward Jenner uh, realized that cowpox was very similar to smallpox. And so he did a vaccine based off of cowpox. And so vodka is cow. Yeah, and both teams picking up the 10 spot on this. Vaca is, in fact, the Latin word for cow. Uh, Natasha, your explanation uh, was right on, by the way. Edward Jenner, of course, uh, the famed famed uh, creator of the modern vaccine, uh, realized that milkmaids who had suffered from cowpox would not get the much more deadly smallpox. So right. I don't want to get into the details of how those first vaccines were developed because that is gross. Uh, but, yeah, um, he named it after the Latin word for cow, vaca, in homage. Uh, Question five, the category is My Body is Ready. My Body is Ready is a popular online catchphrase that, according to Know Your Meme, traces its popularity back to Nintendo executive Reggie Phil's aim, uttering the phrase while preparing to demo what video game at the 2007 (laughs) edition of E3. I thought it was originally from an R. Kelly song, but I think that's been canceled. Yeah, I'm good to lock in with what you think. Um, I, I know the timeline, but I'm not sure 100%. Mm-hmm. One, I have one or maybe two games in mind. So, All right, so it sounds like uh, Vanta Black has sorted out an answer. We'll shift over to crew and see what they're thinking. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to have to talk this one out. And by talk it out, I mean give Jason time to think. No, I'm historically I, awful with video games, so and, I'm... Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely don't know it. I, I feel like I've heard the story once or was a famous demo although there's a couple of famous demo things where like there's a one from sony where the guy just walks out and drops the price of the console or something just that's his whole speech but uh i oh seven and i'm bad at N- nintendo stuff too i was is that bit, around the time of Wii? no nah, uh, yeah uh, like, <laughs> my mind think, goes to like the bowling guy yeah we we sports <laughs> it could be Wii sports i almost maybe we should say Wii sports would that make sense for E3? Uh, it all. It's all video game stuff. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's more iconic. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Okay, we'll lock in with Wii Sports. He's deferring to the person that knows nothing about uh, video games. Yeah. <laughs> if I know anything about Wii Sports, Matt, my body is ready to sit on the couch and fake like I'm bowling and fake like I'm playing baseball. Yeah, you really just need to make sure your wrist is ready for the one flick motion you have That's to right. do for all of them. Oh, uh, my wrist is ready, but continue. <laughs> I think. body is ready to put the remote through my TV and buy it. Yeah. What those little straps are for? Yeah. Uh, I, I think um, I think you're close with Wii Sports, um, but I think it was it was the the yoga simulator, which um, it turned into is basically uh, Wii Fit. Oh. Yep, and that is the sound of 10 points going to Gandalf the Vance of Black. Uh, yeah, Reggie Philzame was getting ready to demo uh, the balance board in Wii Fit and seemed a little uncertain at E3, so he's up there on stage, and the full quote is, my body, uh, my body is ready. Uh, and, of course, the Internet being the Internet has taken that and just run away with it. After five questions, uh, the, the game is uh, fairly close. We have uh, Team Vanta Black here with 20 points, but uh, still in the lead, we have uh, Gandalf the Accru with 30 points. Mm. Oh, a nice tight one. We'll see what happens on the back half of this round. So we move into question six, and the category for this is Garden Path. 
The tale of Theseus and the Minotaur, which takes place in the original Labyrinth, was said by what author to be a major inspiration for their best-known work, along with more contemporary sources like Iraq War news footage and reality TV? Yeah, I think we're going to lock in with our guests. All right, a crew is good to go. Vanta Black, the mic is yours. Yeah, I'm, I'm less swayed by the Minotaurs. I don't really remember that story, but mm-hmm. thinking about something that might uh, be recent, something um, maybe traumatic that would also have mm-hmm. like a reality TV flair, um, for some reason made me think of the Hunger Games. So we're going to go with Suzanne Collins. All right, we've got Suzanne Collins from Vance Black. A crew, what did you lock in with? Well, we, we spent five minutes trying to see if we could remember the name of the person that wrote the Maze Runner books just because of the labyrinth thing. And we realized that we could not. And so we decided to fall back to Suzanne Collins. And then sort of the more we think about it, the reality TV thing kind of fits. Maybe even the Minotaurs kind of like the mutations from that book. So, uh, yeah, we, we also locked in with Suzanne Collins. Oh, interesting, Jason. You know what would have been really, really cool for this question? If I remember, there was a YA series called The Maze Runner when I was yeah. looking for a way to connect the labyrinth <laughs> to modern day literature. Both of you are absolutely right. It is Suzanne Collins, a famed author of the Hunger Games series, who got the inspiration while flipping back and forth on television between uh, Iraq War news footage and like Big Brother. Oh, I always thought she just ripped off Battle Royale. Oh, well. I have no response to that. <laughs> well done. You have unresponded me, Matt. That's OK. Ken will cut it anyway. Next question. Yeah, let's move into question seven, where the category is stay a while and listen. Uh, If you wanted to stay a while and listen to the longest song to ever break onto the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, you'd need nine minutes and 57 seconds to appreciate what late musicians 2016 opus with a title combining a color and a simple geometric shape. Uh, Quick clarification on that. I am looking for the artist, not the title of the song. We're locked in. Okay. Right? Sure. I guess. Okay. <laughs> We're pulling triggers fast here. Impressive lock-ins over here. They said late artist, so deceased. Right. Or just has a problem with watches. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Uh, twenty. So twenty sixteen. That's late. So this is maybe someone who died tragically, tragically young. I would think. Right. Is, could this be like in Amy Winehouse or... I, I, she did come to mind as somebody who may have passed and then had a, a you know, a real chart topper at the end there. Um, yeah. I guess you just want to lock in with Amy Winehouse? Uh, yeah. I, I've got nothing, got nothing else on this that I can go for, so... Okay. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse from Vance of Black, a crew to you. So I used to play pub trivia in Miami and there was always a current events round. So I learned tiny little pieces of trivia. (laughs) Um, And so around that time, I believe David Bowie passed away. I think he had either a song or an album called Black Star, which fit the clue that you gave. Um, Yeah, it came to you very quickly and I could not. Mm. All those things are true. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we are going with David Bowie. David Bowie. David Bowie. Well, I have good news for you, Natasha. David Bowie both had a song and an album titled Black Stars. You were right on both counts. And that song uh, peaking somewhere around 80 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 2016, immediately before his passing, uh, was, in fact, uh, one of the final singles by David Bowie. Congratulations and points to a crew on that. 
So you wrote a, a labyrinth question and then said, I should write a David Bowie question. You know oh, what would have been great realized. is if I realized I had done that at the time. <laughs> Here comes the Tesla question and the Christopher <laughs> Nolan. Yeah. How did you know? No, I'm kidding. Uh, let's move into question eight, because I don't know how I'd possibly connect Tesla's to our category for this question, which is sheep. Uh, sheep milk usually isn't flammable, but with some intermediate steps, such as turning it into cheese and adding alcohol, it can be. That's the basic method of preparing what Americanized Mediterranean dish named for the frying pan in which they are typically prepared. Um, yeah, usually we're a good team because I say something to Jason, it starts with an S and it sounds like blah, 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 blah. And he's able to translate that well, into a real answer. But this like, time I don't think he's pulling that I think that it does that. start with it. I think it's like safrizi or saf... But I don't think we're getting it like... No. So our best answer, just to move this along, because I don't yeah, think we're it, is self-freezy. That's what we're on. Uh, so I think it does start with S, and it does sound like Uh You guys were close there, um, but I'm pretty sure that this is Saganaki. All right, sounds like uh, 10 points are heading over to Candle the Vanta Black on this one. Uh, and as I sit here and stare at the correct answer, Saganaki, I realize oh. I really should have written a question about spoonerizing Japanese cities because it's basically just a transposition of two letters in Nagasaki. All right, so question nine, the category for this is Game of Tones. An A major triad in second inversion consists of two E notes an octave apart, an A note, and a C sharp note. These are the sum total of the tones associated with what game, first released in 1978, although a 2014 version changed the triad to C major. Uh, Pac-Man... Oh, I think I think Pac-Man's good because the doesn't the um before it starts it plays like a little tone like a little ditty oh, kind of could thing. Could be, yeah. Well, and was there a 2014 Pac-Man thing that would have potentially? Sure not, yeah, there's like a yeah. 3D platformer Pac, and it's another like Pac-Man attack kind of gamer, like uh, just a lot of Pac-Man on the screen at the same time. Okay, uh, I'm I'm okay locking with Pac-Man. We'll lock in Pac-Man. So. Of course, we originally thought video games, but my mind will do anything possible to get away from video games. And I don't think you said video game in your question. You just said game. So we came up with Simon. And That's that great. has made all the difference. Congratulations uh -huh. to Candolfi crew on that. Oh uh, for colorblind people like me, I'm really, really glad that they use four different tones in the game Simon. Uh, first released in 1978, a version in 24 came out called Simon Swipe, where they shifted it to the C major chord, which uh, just interesting side note, pretty much every slot machine you'll ever hear uses the C major uh, happy chord in their audio, because that is what lets you blow your money without feeling too bad about it. There's a psychological connection between a C major chord and happiness. We'll have to play that before our Patreon drops. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Try to pump in enriched oxygen into the, <laughs> uh... <laughs> into the podcast stream. Well, that, yeah, that, that would probably mean the men I got more right. So, yeah. <laughs> and question 10 to put in end to round number one. The category is lingo. Getting its lingoistic nickname from the film Mr. Mom, a military service member may refer to a particular piece of field gear as a whoopee. Give me either the intended use or any common alternate use for a soldier's whoopee. I think I think we have a general answer, so we're going to lock in. 
Okay, I feel like our two choices. So you want to say vacuum? Just no, I don't want to say that. But but that's from the movie. And then my only thought as to military and household gear is that they like boil water for their like K rations to make them come to life. That's like a like a hot plate type thing or something like that or kettle. Like a kettle, but it wouldn't be field gear. Almost looks like like a a spade or a trowel or a pickaxe but then none of that makes any damn sense like, keep naming monopoly tokens yeah thimble <laughs> it's probably thimble right uh, um you know i don't know i feel like we're belaboring it but yeah, do you it, go with your thing oh my god it's awful do you want hot plate or kettle <laughs> Okay, we're locking in with hot plate. <laughs> mm. uh, me and me and Jeff were texting, and uh, we're, I think I think he sent me a great idea, which is a person who digs for chips, a nacho miner. But I think he meant to say a poncho liner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I think it, it's like I mean, Matt and I were talking. I think it's like a blanket, or like it it goes with a poncho. Uh, so I mean, I guess poncho liner would be the thing that we're locking in with. Is, I did yeah. not expect either team to get the actual intended use of a Wooby in uh, the military, but congratulations to Candle the Vanta Black. A Wooby is uh, a poncho liner, uh, specifically put in for additional warmth. Although it's so utile and ubiquitous that uh, it's often used uh, for purposes such as uh, sleeping wear, like a blanket or sleeping bag. Uh, it's often used just as a protective cover or tarp. Uh, it's so utile uh, out in the field that military service members uh, absolutely lo- rely on it. They love it. And they have endearingly uh, nicknamed it for the security blanket in Mr. Mom, which was known as a whoopee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Uh, well, despite that great poll from Matt and Jeff over at Gandalf the Vanta Black, they only have 50 points going into the swing round and still in the lead is Gandalf the Accrue, Natasha and Jason with 60 points. So we're going to need to accrue some more points in the swing round. <laughs> I was wondering when somebody was going to pick up on that accrue, accrue I've connection. Been nice job. Saving it. <laughs> mm, chef's kiss on that. Uh, yeah, let's move into the swing round, uh, which doesn't have a name, but has a really interesting mechanic. So, what I've done for the swing round is I've taken 10 pop culture references that are each two word names. Uh, and in each case, I'm going to give you a mathematical fact based on one of the words, all you need to do is tell me which of those two facts has the higher number. All right, so number one in the swing round is inspired by Moby Dick. So tell me which is greater, the number of studio albums released by Moby or Dick Cheney's approval rating in percent at the end of his vice presidency. Number two is inspired by Duck Dynasty. So tell me which is greater, the number of episodes in the original DuckTales cartoon series or the number of episodes in the original series run of Dynasty. For number three, we're going with Die Hard. So tell me which is greater, the number of sides on the hit die used by monks in Dungeons and Dragons or the number on the Moe's hardness scale that represents sapphires. Number four is brought to you courtesy of Star Wars. So tell me which is greater, the number of stars that give the Pleiades their English name or the number of countries that Congress has formally declared wars against. Number five, courtesy of the Chicago Bulls. Tell me which is greater, the number of top 10 U.S. singles by Chicago or the number of instances of the word family in the Rage Against the Machine song, Bulls on Parade. 
Number six, near and dear to the triviality heart, is inspired by Randy Savage. So give me uh, which is greater, the number of Cy Young Awards won by Randy Johnson or the number of Grammy Awards won by Savage Garden. Number seven, courtesy of Perfect Strangers, which is greater, the number of strikes required to bowl a perfect game in the PBA or the number of episodes in the longest season to date of the series Stranger Things. Number eight is inspired by Resident Evil, so I need whichever is greater. The number of residents in Santa Claus, Indiana, according to 2019 estimates, or the number of times the word evil appears in the script for Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Number nine, inspired by Captain America, give me the greater of these two. The percentage of alcohol by volume found in a bottle of Captain Morgan's original spiced rum, or the number of states that comprised America when the last state that seceded rejoined the Union. And number 10, courtesy of Green Day. Tell me which is greater, the number of colors in a 64 count box of Crayola crayons with green in their name, or the number of U.S. federal holidays in 2020. All right, so we're going to think those over and we'll be right back with the answers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Was, or call the police. Or call the police, like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Okay, it looks like all of the answers are locked in from the swing round. And right before we throw it back to Jason Borsum of Liquid Courage, just to make him happy entertainment, uh, just want to say thank you to all of our guests today because they are all Patreon supporters. We very much appreciate their support. It helps keep the show growing and uh, continuing to get better and better uh, as much as we can as we can control. Uh, it's gone from uh, one episode a week to a bunch of bonuses and crop drops and Patreon bonuses, and it just keeps growing and it's all thanks to all of you uh, who are supporting the show on Patreon. So if you'd like to uh, join Jason, Jason, and Natasha on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast uh, and uh, be a part of hopefully our continued growth. So thank you very much. Jason, take it away. 
All right, coming back in, we'll give you a reread on these, and then I'd love to hear which one you think is bigger. So we'll start with number one, Moby Dick. I wanted to know which was larger, the number of studio albums released by Moby or Dick Cheney's approval rating in percent at the end of his vice presidency. What did you guys come up with? All right. So thinking about this, uh, Matt said that Dick Cheney's approval rating was very low. He thought single digits. And if we're thinking single digits, I think Moby could crank out 10 plus albums. So we just guessed Moby. Yeah. We went the opposite way. Um, We thought that even the worst vice president would still have some supporters. So we thought his number was, we called it 20 and we thought Moby doesn't have that much. So we went Cheney. Uh, I realized that some people underestimate how much people will listen to Moby and uh, hate Dick Cheney because the correct answer is Moby. Moby has released 15 studio albums to date. Dick Cheney um, (laughs) notoriously had the lowest approval rating of any vice president in history when leaving office at a paltry 13 (laughs) percent. Number two, inspired by Duck Dynasty, I wanted to know which was greater, the number of episodes in the original DuckTales cartoon series or the number of episodes in the original series run of Dynasty. What did you come up with? Uh, this is a tough one because I know that DuckTales had reached the syndication deal that all those cartoons strive for. So it's close to oh, at least over 70 episodes. Uh, but I think Dynasty was on for quite a bit of time. And uh, there was a lot of episodes in those seasons back in the day. So we actually just went with Dynasty. We struggled with that. But DuckTales was daily. And so it's kind of a question of how long could they crank that out? We not for necessarily great reasons, went with uh, DuckTales. All right. And five points going again to Team Vanta Black on this. Uh, you're right. The DuckTales hit syndication. They they reached that benchmark with 100 total episodes exactly. But Dynasty uh, was on the air for nine seasons oh, wow. and a grand total of 220 episodes. Number three from Die Hard. I wanted to know the number of sides on the hit die used by monks in Dungeons and Dragons or if the number on the Moe's hardness scale that represents sapphires was bigger. Uh, I think this one came down to me kind of on both ends. Uh, both D&D and science are supposed to be my wheelhouses. Pretty sure monks uh, roll a D8. So um, eight would be the one. And the other one, I thought sapphires, Moe's hardness runs up to 10. I thought they were about a seven. So we went with monk. Sapphires, I'm... 90% sure are corundums, which would put them at nine. But my memory is that monks actually hit real hard. Like they, uh, not quite barbarian level, but I thought their hit die might be D10. Uh, and so we also went with monk. Uh, each half of you had half of the number correct. Uh, no points, unfortunately, because while a monk does hit kind of hard, there are certainly classes that hit harder. A monk uses a D8. Uh, for combat and you were correct about sapphires being a variety of corundum which is a nine on the most hardness scale number four brought to you by star wars inspiration uh which is greater guys the number of stars that give the pleiades their english name or the number of countries that congress has formally declared wars against not 100 percent sure on either of these we do think that the number of formal war declarations is kind of low um so for that reason we just said the the first option The Pleiades. Yeah, that's what it was. I'm going to teach you about the Pleiades, Matt. No, thanks. This one was one of the rare ones 
we still are probably going to get it wrong, yeah. but at least we knew one of the numbers. But <laughs> I say that now we think Pleiades was seven. So then we had to say it's country more or less than seven. We went with that. We thought maybe in world war one or two that they declared about against a bunch of countries. Yeah. We thought it might get them over. Yeah, seven. Great Britain and Spain and the, back in the, the 18th century and then we sort of started adding germany and japan and hoping although granted some of the world war ones are overlaps so yeah, now i'm realizing why we're probably wrong but yeah. yeah uh but we went countries we went countries and team accru is on the board in the round they were correct about the uh stars the pleiades known in english as the seven sisters despite uh having more stars in the constellation than seven and fewer visible stars than seven it's a whole complicated thing uh but the number of countries that congress has formally declared war against it depends slightly on your definition of country but the minimum number uh that i felt confident saying is 10. Uh, 11 different national entities have had war declared against them by the U.S., but one of those was Austria, and one of them was Austria-Hungary. So depending on whether or not you conflate the two, it's either 10 or 11. In either case, uh, wars wins the day. So nice job to Kandalfia crew on that one. Uh, number five, I wanted to know which was bigger, the number of top 10 U.S. singles by Chicago or the number of instances of the word family in the Rage Against the Machine song, Bulls on Parade. Uh, well, I think we rallied around the family with a pocket full of shells about 12 times. Um, I think it's like four times and then three verses, something like that. Um, and Hits by Chicago, we we thought they were pretty popular, but I don't know if they were that popular. So we went with Bulls. And and that's basically exactly where we landed, too, where it this felt like a trick question where it just feels like they say Bulls or family 100 times. But I, I was with Jeff. I think it's around 12. And... Uh, top 10 that that at least you know that's getting 12 of those is certainly an achievement not impossible but we went with uh family bulls on parade as well all right uh chicago far more popular than i think either of you gave them credit for the rage against the machine song bulls on parade features the word family nine times eight times in the two choruses and once as a precursor to the second chorus chicago has had a ton of singles of which 21 have breached the top 10 uh stemming from as i find the earliest instance back in like 1970 all the way up until 1989 uh they had a couple a year yeah so we move into number six uh where i wanted to know which was bigger based on randy savage the number of cy young awards won by randy johnson or the number of grammy awards won by savage garden um, so for this one, I'm pretty sure that Randy Johnson only has one Cy Young, uh, I think when in his Mariner days. Um, so then it's just really, did Savage Garden have any Grammys? And I don't think so, but maybe, I don't know. It was a weird time, but we're saying, uh, Randy Johnson. Yeah. And Natasha, I, I may have messed this up here, but this one felt like a trick question. So Yeah. So I said Randy Johnson's a really good pitcher. Savage Garden's a really horrible band. To me, this <laughs> seems like an obvious answer. Jason thought it was a trick question. And so I said, OK, go with it, because either it will be right or I can lord it over you. So yeah. either way, it's a win for I, me. I thought it sounded right that Randy Johnson was like lower than you thought. But it, I agree. It's either, you know, it's probably one zero or two one either way. And so. so we went the opposite. We went Savage Garden. Yep. 
All right. So uh, Randy Johnson has won a grand total of five Cy Young Awards in his career, one with the Mariners back in the mid 90s and then four consecutive ones uh, as a member of the Diamondbacks from 99 through 2002. Um, Savage Garden has never even been nominated for a Grammy Award, largely as far as I can tell, because their record label didn't believe in them enough to uh, throw them in the ring. So the correct answer here is Randy Johnson. That was a bit of a trick question. Uh, Randy Johnson wins out 5-0. Oh, right for the wrong reason. I'll take it. Oh, it's the best kind of question, isn't it? <laughs> Number seven, inspired by Perfect Strangers, I wanted to know which was bigger, the number of strikes required to bowl a perfect game in the PBA or the number of episodes in the longest season to date of the series Stranger Things. Yep, so um, we uh, we think the first is 12, but Stranger Things we think may have had a 13-episode season, so we went Stranger Things. Well, I'm sure you guys are going to be right, because we put the opposite. <laughs> yeah, 12 is 100% correct. We guessed that they topped out at 11, on, and so we said bowling strikes. Oh, very close numbers from a couple of you. Stranger Things has had a grand total to date of 25 episodes split oh. across three seasons, uh, with the longest season being nine episodes. Mm. And of course, 12 strikes is a perfect game in the PBA. So uh, there are more strikes in a perfect game than episodes in any so far season of Stranger Things. Number eight brought to you by the idea of Resident Evil. So which one's bigger, the number of residents in Santa Claus, Indiana, based on 2019 estimates, or the number of times the word evil appears in the script for Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery? Um, so this one, we know a little bit about uh, Santa Claus, Indiana, from reality star Jay Cutler uh, being a resident there. Um, but we don't know anything else. Uh, we kind of were doing the math on the Dr. Evil thing about how many times they'd have to say it a minute. It seemed exceptionally large uh, to beat the residents of Santa Claus. So we said the residents. <laughs> we said the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, and I think I messed us up here too. Like I, the, it, this felt like something, I think I'm thinking of Santa Claus being on a $3 bill, but like that it would be comically low. And so we did the, you know, double reverse jinx uh, trick, trick, <laughs> trick, trick question becomes a regular question and just said Austin Powers. All right. So there was no rhyme or reason for me selecting Santa Claus, Indiana specifically. I just wanted the uh, population of a town that was known by name and also probably small. Uh, Two thousand four hundred eleven residents in Santa Claus, Indiana, and including the references uh, where they list the name of the character speaking in the script and, you know, uh, directorial notes about the character. The word evil appears two hundred ninety times in uh, the largest such instance of the script that I could find online. So I feel pretty comfortable in saying that there are more residents in Santa Claus, Indiana. Mm. I believe Santa Claus also doesn't follow daylight savings time, which is very strange. strange yeah, Indiana is strange uh, in general. That's why Stranger Things was set there. And eerie Indiana. Oh, good pull. Uh, number nine, based on Captain America, which is bigger, the percent of alcohol by volume found in Captain Morgan's original spiced rum or the number of states that comprised America when the last state that seceded rejoined the Union? All right, so this one was a tough one for us. I think I remember recently 13 states seceded, and we think it was pretty close on numbers, so we were guessing it was maybe like 26 to 30 in like 1864, 1865, when they would have all come back together. Uh, 1865, I think, was the year Lincoln was assassinated. 
And Matt was pretty positive Captain Morgan was 80 proof, so that's 40%. So we said Captain Morgan. He said the opposite. Yeah. We, <laughs> At least one of us is going to get credit. Let's be clear. No, you guys are, if Matt is right, then you guys are right. Because I was, I think maybe I was conflating Captain Morgan and Malibu, but I was, I, if standard rum is certainly 80 proof. I thought that the spice rums were a little lower, which took it down below the, we, we put peg the States a little higher than you at, you know, kind of in the mid thirties. And, uh, but we, we went with States. Okay, so uh, Georgia was the final seceded state to rejoin the Union uh, after they adopted certain constitutional amendments in, or excuse me, in 1870. Uh, and at that point, the Union was 37 states strong, uh, which is stronger than the percentage of alcohol by volume found in Captain Morgan, which is 35 percent. Oh, God. <laughs> 70 proof. Interesting. Mm. And we thought the number of states was 38, so I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> you were right on top of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice shot there. And number 10, to put an end to the swing round uh, based on Green Day, which is larger, the number of colors in a 64-count box of Crayola crayons that have green in their name, or the number of U.S. federal holidays in 2020. Uh, so for this one, we kind of just divided up that 64 by about six colors, the three primary, three uh, secondary or whatever they're called. Jeff knew. Um, so you figure there's about 15 greenish crayons and they probably don't all have green in the name. Uh, and then there's about 10 to 11 federal holidays. So we said federal holidays. Well, then breaking the mold, we said the same. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no difference on whatever yeah, the outcome is. So this is. will either be points or no points <laughs> for very much similar reasons as you. Yeah. All right. So the number of U.S. federal holidays uh, as recently as 2020 is 10, starting with New Year's Day and going all the way through the year into Christmas Day. Uh, a 64 count box of Crayola crayons features the following colors with green in their name. Forest green, olive green, spring green green, yellow, blue, green, sea, green, and green. There are only seven. <laughs> All right. After the swing round, it looks like Gandalf the Accru is still in the lead with 80 points, just slightly above Gandalf the Vantablack, who are currently at 75. All right. So the swing round was a whole lot of thunder and not a lot of differential. I will take that. <laughs> All right. And uh, just like the first half was inspired by a common kind of uh, bond that's been important to me for the last year. So is the second half. I'm sure you'll pick up on it pretty quickly. Uh, the category for question one is orange cat. Mm. Combine an appropriate number with the name of the orange cat that has served as a live advertising mascot since its first appearance in 1968, though played by multiple cats to get the name of what strategy game that has been played for at least 2000 years. There is another word in the correct answer, but who's splitting cat hairs on this one? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, we're locked I, th in. I think we're gonna lock in. So we got some we got some orange cats we we're talking about. You got your Garfields, your Heathcliffs, your orangey McCat head. I don't know. Got... <laughs> it's like all the old games I know don't have a number in them. Mm -hmm. Go, checkers, chess, backgammon, like yeah, and those are, I wouldn't call those strategy games. I mean, they're all strategy games. Chess is technically checkers is it's not super hard strategy, but Garfield Hockey Eight. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the strategy game that we all played as children. That's right. We'll lock in with Garfield Hockey Eight. 
Um, so we picked up on your two hints. We it, wish you had given a hint to the third word. <laughs> well, and I, I don't, it wasn't clear to me if the third word is required or not, or if oh, you okay. were literally saying we're not going to split hairs over it. But I, I think we have the, the outer, the outer words. I think it's nine something Morris. And if I had to say a word there, I would say marks, but I, that's feels very weird. I have the vaguest, vaguest memory that this is a, that this is a game. I saw it like in a book of games as a kid or something, but I, I, I don't know. So something. if you're asking for the game, we're saying nine marks Morris. Yeah. I am so inclined to want to give you credit on that. Uh, but since I penalized them in round yeah. one for Valent, I cannot. You are very close, though. Uh, the name of that uh, longstanding strategy board game is Nine Men's Morris. Oh. Mm. That's, oh, that's yeah. Yeah. Morris, of course, the live ad icon for Nine Lives Cat Food. Kudos oh. for getting in the right area, though. Uh, question number two is in the category Riddle Me This. Portrayed by Paul Dano, the Riddler in the upcoming film The Batman has a unique and starkly different look from previous incarnations, according to production photos recently released, which has led to speculation that the character is inspired by what real-life serial killer who also had a penchant for befuddling authorities? We're locked in. Have you seen these yet? Um, I, I think I maybe saw something very quickly in passing, but I, I didn't pay much attention to it. Because it's DC and nobody cares about DC. Pretty much, yeah. Why would you say that, Jeff? That's rude. Um, I, I would not. I, think... I would never say that. <laughs> okay. If they were sponsoring uh, so us. He's got like some kind of big hood thing on, right? Is that... Yeah, I, I can kind of see him like with his face covered and then like maybe like leather on his uh, over cover his mouth or something. So you think it's leather face? I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. Well, he did say the Zodiac Killer, he's, he liked to befuddle the, the police, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, we're going to go with Zodiac Killer. All right, Zodiac Killer from uh, Vance of Black, a crew. Which serial killer did you come up with? Uh, we went with Jack the Ripper. Yeah, we, we had no information, although if Jeff is right about the hood, we were bouncing around Unabomber as a as an idea, but I, maybe I'm trying to visualize, get him kind of scraggly and with a hood, maybe and sunglasses. But I, I just, neither of us have seen the trailer, so we were just yeah. guessing. Yep. We guessed Jack the Ripper. All right, one team is going to pick up points on this. Uh, the production photos from the upcoming The Batman show uh, the Riddler wearing a full leather face hood with uh, like built-in goggles, which to me just looks like Firefly, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, based on some eyewitness accounts of this particular, or the purported uh, appearance of this particular serial killer, the Zodiac Killer was shown by uh, some eyewitnesses to be wearing a leather hood that had some symbology on it. Correct answer being the Zodiac Zodiac Killer, I would have accepted Ted Cruz's dad as well. <laughs> Question number three, the category is Trivia Nerd. Uh, look, it's a bit of a trivia chestnut to ask you what author first coined the word nerd. It's Dr. Seuss. So I'll go one step further. For 10 points, name the book the word nerd first appears in. And for five bonus points, name the fabric that's found in the same line of that book. All right, we're locked in. 
Okay, so they are locked in. Um, so we th- we're pretty sure that the book is If I Ran the Zoo. Yeah, I think it might be one of the animals in the zoo. So, and there's a, he said that there's a fabric in the same line. Um, I I don't think it would rhyme with nerd, but. No, but if it did, what would that fabric even be? Uh, I had Polyester. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think maybe, maybe cotton's the way to go. Okay. As you said, it we're is gonna... the fabric of our lives, Matt. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna and yeah, we're gonna lock in with if I ran the zoo and cotton for the bonus. Okay, and to uh, team Gandalf the crew. So we also came up with if I ran the zoo. We had a very similar discussion trying to find a fabric that rhymed with nerd. We couldn't think of anything, so then I went on a tangent, found a fabric that vaguely rhymes with dweeb, <laughs> and so we went with tweed. <laughs> That makes okay, a lot of sense. <laughs> so both teams were right. It is uh, the 1950 book, If I Ran the Zoo. Um, admittedly, not going to find too many more copies of it these days, but that is the first confirmed instance of the word nerd in English print. Uh, Ten points for both teams because neither were able to give uh, the fabric found in the line. The line is a nurkle, a nerd, and a seersucker, too. Hmm. Question number four in the round. The category is third degree. So I'm drawing a triangle on a perfectly spherical ball, you know, like anyone would do when they were bored. Uh, Because spheres are weird places to draw triangles, it turns out that the sum of the three angles must always be larger than 180 degrees. What's the upper limit of the sum of those three angles? Okay, we're going to lock in, I guess. Okay. What kind of math are you doing there, Jeff? Jackson's. I'm just trying to remember. I'm just kind of sketching it out, and he's actually just finger painting over here. So I that goes well for you guys. <laughs> yep. Um, I want to say seventy-two comes to mind for the angle it would be for each of them. Yeah, as a max, so three times. I don't know 72. about a max, but I, I I remember I remember seventy-two being a number I've seen. So I don't know if that's like a common one or like the max. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, that'd be 246, right? Okay, then let's just go 246. Okay. Yeah, I maybe didn't even fully process this. I try, sometimes these math ones, uh, you can kind of like take it to the pathological extreme and think about it like a, you know, asymptotically approaching it. And so I was trying to picture this triangle and I started rounding corners and basically was almost turning each angle into a circle, which I, I don't think I was even doing it right. But so I actually pushed it all the way up to 540, which is probably impossible, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if the answer was 360. I'm hoping that the other guys are wrong, but I think they did the arithmetic wrong on 72 times three. So I think even if they were right, they're wrong. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause it would only be, it'd be 216. Oh, so that's stupid. We said, we said five, we said 540. So we locked in with 246 on one side and 540 on the other. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Jason, you were correct that uh, it would be impossible for a spherical triangle to have uh, angles that equal 540 degrees, although it can asymptotically approach 540 degrees, making it the upper limit. Congratulations oh, wow. to Gandalf the crew. Uh, basically, if you had a triangle on a sphere where all three angles were 180 degrees, you you have the equator. 
more or less. Uh, but you can get very, very, very close to that by shifting one of those points slightly north or south, as an example. Question number five, the category is tipster. Tipster is a word often used to mean informant. In that case, Daniel Hernandez certainly qualifies as one of the more famous tipsters of the modern era mm -hmm. after he testified against fellow members of an organization called the Nine Trey Bloods. By what name do we better know Mr. Hernandez? Oh, locked in. All right. Boy. One of my faves. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is... I mean, I'm feeling insecure because I just called myself a lawyer brain uh, and then informants should have been. This is that. Uh, <laughs> stitches get stitches. That's yeah, all I know. It, yeah. No, this is uh, this has the vaguest thing, vaguest sense that there is a rapper whose name I've only heard in like news stories. Who, okay. like, Hit me. What is it? Takeshi 69. Okay. Is that what we're locking in? Sure. Oh, right, with all those tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can picture that. I, I might have, it might be 6 Takeshi 9 or some crazy, but uh, well, Takeshi, no, Takeshi 6 9, we'll lock in with that. All right, sounds like we have a tentative lock in from Candolfia crew, Vanta Black. Uh, talk me through your process. Uh, I have watched the Hulu documentary. Uh, there are multiple Takashi 69 songs on my playlist. I'm a big fan. Uh, so, yeah, Takashi 69. So the process is Matt just knowing the answer instantly. Fair <laughs> enough. Points to both of you. Uh, I would have accepted either Takeshi 69 uh, or just 69 as he's often uh, also professionally referred to. And yeah, uh, he is notable in the last couple of years for narking out on the stand. After five questions in the second round, the scores are higher, but the separation is still the same. Vanta Black uh, narrowly tra uh, trailing behind uh, a crew. So they have 105 over at Vanta Black, and a crew has 110. So still very, very close. Oh, on the razor's edge here. Uh, going into the back half, question six. The category is Smarty Pints for this one. In the U.S., your pint of beer would yield you 16 fluid ounces, assuming the bartender didn't know to leave room for the head. In the U.K., if you ordered an imperial pint of beer, how many imperial fluid ounces would you get of that sweet, sweet Newcastle brown ale? I, we have a we will lock in with not a great answer, probably. <laughs> OK, well, my first thought is since, um, you know, metric system and foreign units of measurement seem to make more sense than our units of measurement, it would probably be a round number. Uh, so I just guess 20, 20 seemed like a good number. So I had two numbers in my head, 14 and 20, and I know the British one is bigger than the U.S. one. But the question then is, are imperial ounces the same as it, I couldn't tell if there was a double trick there where it was. Uh, and so I think Matt might be right. And I think I'm thinking of the other thing where the U.S. pour is U.S. pint glasses are actually smaller than 16. I think they're 14. But regardless, we locked in with 14, hoping that it was, yes, it's larger, but that the imperial ounces were also larger. And so it ended up being a smaller number. OK, uh, so a couple of things going on with this question. Um, first and foremost, Jason, uh, I am absolutely the kind of host that would stick the answer in the question itself. I did not do that in this case, though. Uh, to the other point, I think you may have conflated the number of ounces with the number of pounds in a stone over in Britain, which is 14. 
16. Uh, that might explain where that number came from. But uh, points to Gandalf the Vanta Black because an imperial pint consists of 20 imperial ounces. Right. All right. Question seven. The category for this one is footnote. In typography, footnotes are most frequently depicted using asterisks. But if a second footnote is needed on a page, what symbol is most frequently used, named for its visual similarity to a specific weapon? Yeah, I, I know. What you, I know what you're referring to. It's the the big kind of like T looking thing, right? Uh, not the big T, but it just looks like a lowercase T. I thought, kind of like just but yeah. like put up, like in an uppercase. Would that be like a sword? No, like I mean it wouldn't be a crossbow. It looked, like, it would kind of look like a crossbow from the top, but I don't know. Um, it could be. It can look maybe like a trident. You know, mm, only as, uh, a oh, maybe single single. Dent. If it was like a Y with like another line in the middle or something. You want to do trident? Sure, I don't know. My favorite gum. We're going trident. <laughs> We agreed with you, uh, your initial discussion. We thought it was the T-looking thing, which I would naturally call a cross, but we decided not to call it that. Um, and so we went with sword. We thought that was the closest weapon-looking word for if we're right about the T-shape. Yeah. Well, you are right about the T-shape. You're really, really close about the name on it, but unfortunately, no points to either team. Uh, in typography, that that symbol that's kind of an elongated lowercase t or uh, a cross is referred to as a dagger. Oh, that makes, that makes sense. Uh, way too much sense. Question number eight. The category is capital trivia. <laughs> Based on their names in English, what sovereign nation is the only one in the world whose national capital's name contains the name of the country's most prominent religion? We're locked in. Is the capital of Vatican City Catholic Town? It, <laughs> uh, I believe it's Catholic Burg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I think it's Pakistan, Islamabad. Islamabad. Okay. Yeah. Locked in. Uh, so we're unclear whether you want the city or the country, but it's Islamabad, Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that uh, if Jeff knows the capital and said the name of the country, that he is confident enough yeah. if I oh, ask him to be more specific. Uh, so points for both teams. The country is Pakistan. The capital is, in fact, Islamabad. All right. I think we're good for question nine. The category for this one is speakeasy. The classic Marx Brothers film Horse Feathers contains a scene in a speakeasy where Groucho uses a specific password to get in the door. While the connection is never directly acknowledged on camera, that scene is the inspiration for what other film, where the same password serves as the film's title, a code name for an operation, and, naturally, an actual password. We're locked in. Do you think this is Swordfish? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. Okay, we'll lock in with Swordfish. Well, I'll buy that for a dollar. We also said swordfish. And points all around. The password is, in fact, swordfish. Uh, Horse Feathers came up with that trope back in like the 1930s, if you believe that. And question number 10 to put an end to the round, the category, of course, is LK. If I wanted to register the website trivia.lk, I'd probably need to learn some Sinhala or Tamil, as those are the two most popular languages in what country that owns the rights to the top-level domain .lk? Ooh. We're, we're locked in. Now, I've been playing a lot of GeoGuessr, yeah. and one of the best ways to find out what country you're in is to look for websites 
with the domain. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember a lot of LK. Um, There's a like a liberation organization called the Tamil Tigers, and they're mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka. And I could okay. see SL already being taken by like Switzerland or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe they gave them for like the Lanka LK. Okay, so we're going to go Sri Lanka? Yeah, I think we should go with Sri Lanka. Yeah, Tamil and Sinhalese are two languages used in Sri Lanka, so we also said Sri Lanka. And points all around. Uh, nice job. Yeah, the top-level domain in Sri Lanka is .lk, so we're ending on a high note. At the end of regulation, it looks like Team Vantablack is going to end in the lead here before going into the final round with 145 points, and narrowly behind them is Team Accrue with 140 points to wager. Jason, what are those final round categories? Well, I don't have any particular through line on the final, but let's give you the uh, categories for these five questions so you can get those wagers in. Uh, From first to fifth, your category names are Spicy Trivia. What have I seen them in? This question ticks me off. It's written in the stars and ASMR Trivia. All of the wagers are now locked in. Let's go to the questions. All right, your first question in the final uh, category was Spicy Trivia. So named because the English thought it tasted like a combination of cinnamon, clove, and nutmeg. What is the common term for the seasoning also known as Jamaica pepper or pimento? Number two, the category, what have I seen them in? The pursuit of happiness, after earth, and albeit a cameo, Men in Black 2 are the three films to date in which Will Smith has acted alongside what familiar actor? Number three, this question ticks me off. Alpha gal syndrome does not mean you have to be the prettiest girl at the club, but rather is the tick-borne condition that strangely causes an allergy to what type of food frequently consumed in the U.S.? Number four category is it's written in the stars. Discounting that oxen and bulls are often interchangeably used ways to describe cattle What is the only other animal represented in both the Western and Chinese zodiacs? And number five, the category ASMR trivia. Reverse the two halves of a term often used on YouTube to describe chill background music to get the name of what ingredient found in strudel, baklava, and spanakopita, among other dishes. Our competitors will take a moment to go over these questions and be right back with their answers. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. All of the answers are locked in during this very close game. Let's see how it all turns out and get back to those questions to hear the competitors' answers. All right, we'll start with number one. The category was spicy trivia. So named because the English thought it tasted like a combination of cinnamon, clove, and nutmeg, what is the common term for the seasoning also known as Jamaica pepper or pimento? Uh, let's start with Gandalf the Vantablack for this one. Uh, yeah, we wagered 30. Um, not 100% sure, but we know it's very popular in uh, English uh, baking and cooking. We said cardamom. And uh, we wagered 25, and we said it tastes like all those spices, so it's all spice. And points are going to Gandalf the Accru. Uh, the English named it all spice because it tasted like all the spices they knew. Mm-hmm. I threw that out there, but we weren't sure. We weren't really sure what all spice was. Now we know. Uh, very common element in uh, Jamaican cooking, Caribbean jerk style cuisine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All right, question number two, the category was, what have I seen them in? The Pursuit of Happiness, After Earth, and albeit a cameo, Men in Black 2, are the three films to date in which Will Smith has acted alongside what familiar actor? Uh, Let's start with Gandalf the Accru for this one. Right, we wagered 25, and we said it was his son, Jaden Smith. Yeah, we wagered 15 points on this one, and we too said Jaden Smith. Well, you can't get much more familiar than literal family. And Jaden Smith is the co-star of all three of those films. See what you did there, Uh, Jason? Well, bad puns are best puns. Yeah, he had a uh, slight cameo as a very young child in Men in Black 2. I don't think he was credited for it, but he does appear in the film. Question number three, the category this question ticks me off. Alpha gal syndrome does not mean you have to be the prettiest girl at the club, but rather is the tick-borne condition that strangely causes an allergy to what type of food frequently consumed in the U.S.? Uh, Vanta Black, we will go to you. Uh, This one I am 100% sure of. Somebody who I know very well suffers from this. Um, So we will say uh, beef. Okay. And we wagered 30. And we were worried this was going to be a TikTok question, so we only wagered five. Uh, but we said meat. I don't know if we needed to be more specific than that. But uh, Unfortunately, you would need to be more specific okay. well, uh, in that case. <laughs> uh, because I do have, uh, just like Matt, I have a friend who actually has this condition. And it is not all meat. It is particularly red meat. Uh, beef is certainly synonymous enough for credit. So good job to Kandolf the Bantablack on that. 
Question four in the final round, the category is it's written in the stars. Uh, discounting that oxen and bulls are often interchangeably used ways to describe cattle, what is the only other animal represented in both the Western and Chinese zodiacs? Let's start with Gandalf the Accrue. We wagered 25 and we had one hell of a debate. <laughs> um, we narrowed it down between uh, sheep slash ram and goat. Um, and we did a coin flip and we landed on sheep for sheep and ram. We, it's the male and female counterpart. We're hoping of the same animal. Okay. And um, for 20 points, um, yeah, we think this one is Aries and the ram in Chinese zodiac. So we said ram. Ah, so something very interesting uh, during the thought process on this question, I did some research as I was kibitzing in, and it turns out that the uh, Chinese word for that particular year can be translated two different ways, and in English often interchangeably is. Uh, the answer that I have is goat for Capricorn. However, it can also be translated to sheep. And you can't say that a ram is not a sheep. So either one is equally correct and points all around. <laughs> all that time argument wasted. <laughs> and question number five, the category was ASMR trivia. Reverse the two halves of a term often used on YouTube to describe chill background music to get the name of what ingredient found in strudel, baklava, and spanakopita, among other dishes. Let's start with Gandalf the Vantablack for this one. Yeah, um, I listen to a lot of uh, lo-fi hip-hop and lo-fi jazz on YouTube a lot. And uh, if we reverse that, we came up with phyllo, which I'm pretty sure is the dough that's in all of those dishes. For, uh, was that uh, 10 points? Yeah, and we, we were also worried this would be very deep YouTube, so we only wagered five. But luckily, it was a food question in disguise, and uh, we also said phyllo dough. Yeah. So lo-fi phyllo. Yeah, lo-fi phyllo. Yeah. And today I learned that that word is properly pronounced philo. I've called it philo oh. my entire life, but it is correct. Uh, yeah, when you're looking up uh, just ambient background music, you often see the word lo-fi or the hyphenated abbreviation uh, next to chill or ambient uh, on YouTube. And you reverse those halves and you get the philo pastry often found in strudel and baklava and spanakopita. All the scores have been tabulated and it looks like with 190 points, Team Gandalf, Vantablack uh, is going to be in second place today because today's cream of the crop are Jason and Natasha over at Gandalf the Accrue with 215 points. You can't stop the cream of the crop, Dutch boy. Ooh. Yay! Great Very game. well done, yeah. Accrue. Congratulations. Into Gandalf the Brilliant White. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gandalf the Eggshell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great job, both of you. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming to hang out with us today uh, and for being uh, just great contestants. Any um, any words or shout outs or anything you'd like to give? The floor is yours. Am I allowed to promote my cat's Instagram? Of course. <laughs> okay, everybody should follow my very cute cat, our very cute cat. Um, her name is Junebug and her Instagram is at Calico Junebug. Um, <laughs> weekly photos of a very cute cat. <laughs> Yes, everyone follow uh, Calico Junebug. Uh, thank you both for joining us and for being Patreon supporters. We very much appreciate it. And uh, Jason Borsum of Liquid Courage Entertainment, thank you for putting this game together. Any uh, last words uh, from you? 
Uh, sure. First of all, I think both teams did very well on uh, not one of the easier games that I've written. So you should both feel very, very good about yourselves. Uh, I want to thank the, the guys at Triviality for having me back on for the 312th time or however many times I've sat in the studio here with you. Uh, I built in a couple shout outs uh, into those rounds. But to give context on them, the first half of the game was inspired by uh, memes, bits and phrases often found on my Twitch channel. You can find me on that Twitch channel four to five times a week at Twitch tv slash liquid underscore courage that is courage with a k uh, and the back half was inspired by my friends and their professional business names over at the quadrivia podcast which uh releases fashionably late uh, i believe we release 24 hours after triviality does every week uh and that is findable at uh, quadriviapodcast.com or in the podcast aggregator of your choice just uh, search for quadrivia which is one more than trivia because we think we're clever <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Jason, uh, for your game. And thank you, Natasha and Jason, for joining us today. Uh, we hope Ken gets better soon. Uh, but uh, for our full house here of Matt, Jason, Jason, Natasha, Jeff, and myself, Neil, that was Triviality. <laughs> I designed a Triviality steampunk hat, if anyone was interested. I don't think no anybody crop top, interested. Only crop top. All right. I don't want to hear about crop top. <laughs> <laughs> what are the fashion rules on wearing a crop top with like aviator goggles? Oh, definitely approved, probably. Yeah. Um, Go to any street in Austin and that is what you will see. <laughs>